Moving past the Mounties. From the, the bottom to the top and the top to the bottom. An all-party committee makes recommendations to overhaul policing in B.C. Fatal shots fired in a Vancouver neighborhood. First thing I heard was sirens and gunshots. Bang, 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 bang. One suspect dead, an officer sent to hospital, and now an investigation into what happened. And the collection of a top visual effects artist. This is art. To some people, it's junk. The estate of a Hollywood North veteran and the familiar faces up for sale. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. An all-party committee is recommending major changes to the way police operate in B.C. The Special Committee on Reforming the Police Act makes 11 recommendations. Among the most important, taking the RCMP out of local policing and transitioning to a new B.C. Provincial Police Service. Creating a new Community Safety and Policing Act with a special focus on rooting out systemic racism. And creating and funding a robust response to mental health addictions and other complex social issues. Richard Zussman has the details. A dramatic overhauling of the way policing is done in BC. The, the key is not removing them. The key is answering the calls of British Columbians for greater levels of service. An all-party committee unanimously calling for the province to move on from the RCMP policing day-to-day -day in communities to be replaced by a provincial police force. These aren't minor decisions, and so it will take some time for government to work through this with uh, key stakeholders. In the larger metro areas, like here in Victoria and in Vancouver, the committee is suggesting taking the smaller municipal forces and turning it into a larger regional police force. We've been advocating this for quite some time. It depends how the amalgamation is done, and it's important to use the term amalgamation rather than quitting one entity and going to a new entity. The RCMP union responding in a statement, saying it is still reviewing the report, and, quote, repeated waves of public opinion surveys have shown 75% of British Columbians in RCMP police communities feel well served by our members. The report centered around anti-racism and decolonization, calling for municipal leaders to sit on police boards but stop mayors from being chair. It's very difficult to constantly be wearing a hat as mayor and a hat as police board chair. In total, 11 recommendations, also including Indigenous consultation and in all changes and increasing mental health and addictions coordination throughout the policing system, a shared funding model with municipalities on the list and requiring police services to collect and report disaggregated race-based data. However, when it comes to accountability and governance, uh, they really, uh, there really needs to be a better effort. No timeline from the province on when they may decide to either go with or against these recommendations. But one commitment is clear. The path forward will ensure everyone gets the equal treatment from police they deserve. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. And as Richard mentioned in his report, the all-party committee also heard plenty of evidence of systemic racism in policing. Many high-profile cases have drawn attention to the issue, and now there are recommendations for substantive changes for consul from consultation to better officer training. And Catherine Urquhart has those details. In 2019, Maxwell Johnson and his then 12-year-old granddaughter were handcuffed outside a Bank of Montreal in Vancouver while trying to open an account. 
an employee had questioned their status card and called police. Now, a special committee on reforming the Police Act is recommending dramatic changes to how police deal with people of different races. Uh, we're proposing um, transformational and, and uh, from the, the bottom to the top and the top to the bottom uh, changing in, in policing in the province. Among the key recommendations related to Indigenous and race-based policing, ensuring Indigenous peoples and nations are engaged in the drafting of the legislation, ensure all Indigenous communities have direct input into their police service structure, enhancing and standardizing training for police recruits with respect to anti-racism, cultural competency, and trauma-informed practices, and require police services to collect and publicly report race-based data and review policies to address systemic racism in policing. They obviously have some good goals that they've set out in the report, and, you know, if they can start a police force that will be free of racism that has independent investigations and looks more at trauma-informed ways of policing, then maybe that's a good thing. Pivot Legal Society told Global News, structural and systemic issues remain embedded in policing structures in B.C., While elected officials have taken nearly two years to propose policing reforms, lives have been lost to police violence. I think that the project of reforming police uh, and policing in this province is going to take a, a decade. Reforms to policing in B.C. sure to take years, but hopefully will mean that Maxwell Johnson and so many others will no longer face systemic racism. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And the report also recommends big changes to the way authorities handle mental health and addictions. Right now, someone who's in crisis who calls 911 will most likely be met with a police response, especially after business hours. Depending on how that goes, the person might be arrested under the Mental Health Act and taken to hospital. Instead, the committee recommends integrating mental health responders into the 911 system perhaps calming a crisis down over the phone before police have to intervene. And really the simplest thing is to make sure that our our crisis lines are resourced to the level that we can answer all the calls that come in. Uh, Because we are the least costly and least restrictive thing that you can do when somebody's in a crisis. We're literally the least you can do. And many, many times, 95% of the times, we're the only intervention that's needed. The committee acknowledges the ideas will cost more in the short term, but they say there will be long-term savings and social benefits. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry now for some analysis on this. Keith, how likely are these recommendations to be implemented? As Mm -hmm. uh, Attorney General David Eby pointed out, these are big issues. So are they going to be accepted and what's the timeline if so? Yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, committee reports die in the vine over here. They get a bit of publicity at the beginning, and then they sort of gather dust in the legislative library of files and shelves. This one, I think, is going to be a bit different. I had a conversation with Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth today who points out a number of the issues the committee's tackling have already seen work underway, such as education, training, mental health, systemic racism. These are areas that already are starting to be addressed. It's going to be a very long process. But a province-wide, new provincial police force is an entirely different 
entity. And even uh, Doug Routley, the chair of the committee, points out staffing is a critical component of that, of course, and the difficulty of moving people from existing police forces into a brand new one is a very big mountain to climb. Here's Doug Routley. This is one of the great challenges, definitely, but uh, it's been shown uh, that uh, these challenges can be met. Um, we have confidence that uh, people will seek out that uh, career because of uh, the opportunities that it will offer. Um, one of the key issues with uh, the policing contract with the RCMP is that it's very difficult for British Columbia to control or to have any um, real input into the uh, management of resources. So another big obstacle facing the creation of a provincial police force is the existing ones that existing police forces in smaller municipalities will likely uh, oppose any attempt to dismantle their own police forces that they control at the council level. So it's a, it's an interesting uh, situation ahead, but it's got eight years until the RCMP contract expires. So there's a lot of time to deal with this. I'd be surprised if that one's going to be resolved anytime soon. The other one's easier to implement. All right, Keith, thanks for the analysis. Another fatal shooting in Metro Vancouver, although police say it's too early to tell if this is connected to gang conflicts. Ridge Meadows RCMP were called about 2 o'clock this afternoon to a report of several shots fired in the 21300 block of 124th Avenue in Maple Ridge. They found a man suffering from suspected gunshot wounds there. An off-duty Vancouver police officer and off-duty nurse tried to save the victim's life Despite that, he died at the scene. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Unit has been called in. A frightening exchange of gunfire has rattled East Vancouver's busy commercial drive neighborhood. As Ramina Dea reports, police and a suspect opened fire last evening, leaving the suspect dead. And BC's Independent Investigations Office trying to piece together what happened. John Corsrud in the middle of a gig at the Tangent Cafe when police locked down the restaurant. And then suddenly we saw people walking, uh, cops with, with uh, the rifles and the um, night vision goggles. Bang, 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 bang. A gunfight, a man in his 40s dead, a police officer injured. What did police tell you? Uh, they told us there was a, a guy downstairs with a gun shooting at police for the last 30 minutes. BPD patrol officers arrived on scene, an altercation ensued, and therefore that resulted in an exchange of gunfire. Vancouver police responding to an assault in the suspect's unit Wednesday night near busy commercial drive. And I heard the scream of the one woman. What was she screaming? She just was uh, trying to look for help and yelling. Witnesses say an armored vehicle bulldozed the fence. Terrified residents evacuated from two buildings. Cop knocked on my door. Police let him in. They come in and they're trying to get access to the window, side window, which was above the suspect. And uh, they busted out a couple of my windows. The IIO, the police watchdog, releasing scant details. We still don't have specific information about the initial assault call. We don't know how many shots were fired or who fired first. The identity of the victim has not been released. It was so scary. It was terrible. Just awful. A swarm of investigators still gathering evidence late Thursday afternoon. The injured officer released from hospital. It's unclear when the IIO will explain to the public what exactly happened here. Romina Dea, Global News.
Vancouver police statistics show as many as four people are being randomly attacked in the city daily on average. And tonight, city council is holding a special meeting to address public safety. Ahmad Agahi is live outside City Hall with more on what we can expect tonight. And Ahmad, this really is a chance for residents to share their concerns. Well, Chris, like you said, much of what has led to this special forum is the fact that a public safety has become a big issue for a lot of people in Vancouver who have spent months vocalizing their concern with police, with city councillors, with the media, saying simply they don't feel safe in their communities anymore. The Vancouver police have spent a lot of time and energy vocalizing their concerns with what they're saying is a, a rise in violent assault compared to pre-pandemic levels. So here's what we think is going to happen tonight in that meeting. Uh, up to 50 speakers from the public will get an opportunity to speak following presentations from uh, the city, uh, the Vancouver Police Department, the police board, the park board as well. Of course, all of this coming uh, less than 24 hours after every councillor but one opposed the idea of having city uh, of Vancouver explore a potential increase in CCTV security videos, a potential uh, means to deter some of that violent crime in Vancouver, particularly it's downtown. Now, it can't be ignored that we are about a half a year away from that municipal election, and a lot of the political observers, a lot of the city councillors, uh, current and hopeful, are saying that uh, public safety is neck and neck with housing when it comes to the biggest issues leading to that election. And as you say, there will be a lot of ideas, a lot of concerns they can walk away from that building with uh, to focus their campaigns on. All right, more coverage of that meeting coming up tonight. Ahmad Agahi in Vancouver. Thanks, Ahmad. Well, police are looking at organized crime in connection with a double homicide in Vancouver's Point Grey neighborhood, which claimed the lives of two women back in February. Global News investigative reporter Sam Cooper joins us with more on what he's managed to dig up, uh, especially about the victims, Sam. Yes, well, in any homicide investigation, police will want to understand about the business, social, and in this case, the political lives of the victims. So what we've learned uh, by digging into a lot of documents and talking to police sources is the victims, uh, Ms. Wu Shumin and uh, Ms. Sun Ying Ying, were both running, uh, involved in running a high-end so-called VIP clubhouse in South Vancouver on the border with Richmond. Now they were offering uh, high-end massage and uh, luxury uh, traditional Chinese tea service, high-end gym products, and uh, high-end, we're talking memberships, $5,000 a year. Sophie, what we've also understood is that police uh, are interested and understand that these two women were operating in an entertainment sector in Vancouver that has really uh, become notorious with uh, some high, very high level RCMP targets that have become known through the Cullen Commission to Money Laundering. Uh, they were doing uh, really the same clientele and same business sectors as the two victims. And I should add that some of these RCMP targets are known to CSIS. That's the Canadian Intelligence Service. Mm -hmm. And so not just entertainment and high-end fitness, Sam, but also uh, these two women were politically connected. What can you tell us about that? 
That's right, uh, especially in the case of uh, Ms. Xumin Wu. She was a very wealthy businesswoman from Fujian province in China, and she was also a leader in Fujian community associations in Vancouver and uh, connected to Toronto and Markham, Ontario. These associations are pro-Beijing. They are very tightly connected with the Chinese consulate in Toronto and Vancouver. And we also learned uh, by looking into documents and talking to sources that uh, Ms. Wu and her fellow leaders were often meeting with Chinese Communist Party officials in Vancouver and China. These officials are part of a group such as the so-called Overseas Chinese Affairs Office that are involved deeply in espionage activity in Canada. So when we all boil it down, Sophie, what, we, what, I, what I can tell you is that uh, it's not just Vancouver police. Federal investigators are looking into a, a broader picture of the world that these two men, women were operating in that uh, where we can see Chinese state activity and organized crime activity mm -hmm. converge. And still no charges, but a lot of very interesting details. All right, thanks for that, Sam. And we can read more uh, online in Sam's article on globalnews.ca. New clues in a near-fatal hit-and-run. I don't think this person realizes the impact that it's had to all of us. A heart-wrenching appeal to the driver of this vehicle who backed up to drive around the critically injured victim. That's next on the News Hour. Turning trash into treasure, a Pemberton artist gets his new hobby on track. Coming up. And look who woke up. Grinder and Kula break out of hibernation in a sure sign that spring is arriving. That's coming up later. Right now, though, Abbotsford police have released video of the suspect vehicle in a hit-and-run Tuesday that left a 38-year-old man in hospital fighting for his life. The family of the victim is asking whoever callously drove away to do the right thing and contact police. John Waugh reports. Somebody hit him and somebody left him and they didn't help him. Like, if they helped him, maybe it would be so bad. This is the heartbreaking result of a horrific hit-and-run. Dale Lillick with tubes down his throat, wires connected to his brain as he fights for his life. All I could do was just scream, oh my God, oh my God, no, 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 no. The 38-year-old Abbotsford man was struck by a vehicle late Tuesday night while walking along Hillcrest Avenue at Clearbrook Road. Abbotsford police now releasing video of an SUV that fled the scene. The footage taken just seconds after Lilik was struck. Early indications suggest that the uh, person involved that was operating this vehicle would have known uh, that they uh, struck a pedestrian uh, and therefore decided to uh, leave the scene. They should have stopped. They should have called 911. They should have been there for my brother. Instead, he was alone by himself. He had nobody. Police say the suspect vehicle is a Toyota 4Runner from the early 2000s. It's being described as light-colored with a sunroof. I don't know the reason, and I'm not judging you because I have no right to judge, but I'm asking you to please turn yourself in. Lilik's family says the father of six once struggled with addiction, but had recently found his way into recovery for his children. Now he's day-to-day -day in an induced coma at Royal Columbian Hospital. Part of his intestine had to be removed, a severe traumatic brain injury leaving medical staff concerned about bruising and swelling. It's not fair for him. He's tried so hard and he doesn't deserve this. His family hopes anyone with information will do the right thing and call police. Even though he's a full-grown adult, he's still my baby. And I can't help him and I can't fix him. 
knowing this hit and run has left so many people in pain, each of them praying that Dale Lillick will pull through. John Hua, Global News. And coming up next, a plea for help that went unanswered. Dante's in the hospital. There's a woman that's not alive anymore, and you guys could have prevented that. Why the father of a man charged with murder on an Okanagan campus says it never should have happened. And later, fine art fraud. Millions of dollars in valuable artwork seized in Saanich. Big delays here in Vancouver. Northbound traffic is blocked on Granville Street at 33rd Avenue for a multi-vehicle accident. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of a crash in Vancouver. The father of a man charged in the death of a security guard at UBC Okanagan is speaking out. Dante Ognebene Hebborn is facing a charge of second-degree murder in the death of Harmandeep Kaur. As Darian Matassa Fung reports, the accused father says his son struggled with mental health issues, especially in the days leading up to the tragedy. See, this was a tragic accident that could have been prevented. The father of the man who has been charged with the murder of a security guard at UBC Okanagan is speaking out about what he says are events leading up to the death of 24-year-old Harmon Deep Kaur. Dante Ognebene Hebborn's mental health had been an existing issue for some time, according to his father, which included allegedly receiving injections for psychosis. Nicholas Hebborn, who is not only Dante's father, but Dante's job supervisor, said he had serious concerns with his son's mental health the day prior to the alleged homicide and called Interior Health that morning. I had asked him to come pick him up. I had asked them to take him to the hospital. I had explained to them for six hours over the phone that I was in fear that he was going to hurt himself. According to Hebron, Interior Health then directed him to its crisis intervention team. I gave them Dante's address. I gave them Dante's information. I let them know that I was very concerned for his well-being and his health. I was concerned that maybe he might try to take his own life. I, by all means, I was never concerned about him inflicting pain on anybody else because this has never been the situation with my son. He's always taken it out on himself. The crisis team did contact Dante but did not intake him under the Mental Health Act. Interior Health was unavailable for an interview and did say they are unable to talk specifics about the case but did offer an explanation on how mental health checks should go. In a statement, Interior Health said individuals who engage in these services will be provided an assessment by a mental health clinician and offered appropriate supports. Interior Health cannot hold or involuntarily admit an individual outside of a very specific and limited criteria under the Mental Health Act, nor can Interior Health force people to accept treatment. Hebron also acknowledges there were personal connections with Harmon Deep Court. Harmon was my friend. And what a lot of people didn't know is me and Dante knew that woman very well. I'm a graveyard shift management slash supervisor. I deal with security for eight hours every single night, five days a week. This woman became our friend. Dante liked that. was one of Dante's favorite security guards. Heborn says he remembers Core as a very nice woman and said her death is tragic. Darian Matassa, Fun Global News, Kelowna. Just ahead, the call they kept quiet. This was very secretive and very covered up. A BC wildlife management plan that's killing a lot of wolves and the woman who wants to stop it. Also tonight, a major change in who can donate blood that some say is long overdue. 
Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge with just some leftover volume eastbound on the connector between Knight and the S-curve. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert pair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital, Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Conservationists are calling for an end to BC's latest controversial wolf cull program, saying it's cruel and unnecessary. As Paul Johnson reports, they're particularly upset about what's called the Judas wolf tactic. This was very secretive and very covered up. In Golden, BC, Sadie Parr has spent years investigating the province's aerial wolf kill program. Among the many things about it that disturb her is the so-called Judas wolf technique capturing a wolf in a net and putting a radio collar on it to lead government-contracted shooters back to its pack so they can be killed. It's very disturbing. It's working on the close psychological bonds that wolves form and using it against them. Hunting wolves in North America has long been a common and controversial practice. But in an effort to revive declining caribou herds in parts of the interior, the province started up a helicopter-borne wolf-kill program in 2015. On Thursday, the Ministry of Land, Water and Resource Stewardship told Global News 280 wolves were killed this past winter, and more than 1,700 have been killed over the course of the program. The province says the decision to kill wolves is science-based and not taken lightly. But critics say logging and habitat loss are the real enemy of the caribou. And killing wolves to compensate amounts to a cruel policy failure. This is absolutely a colossal uh, failure, a policy failure, uh, 100%. Um, the reality of it is, is that we're not managing uh, the landscape. Yet another angle is playing out through the courts, where the group Pacific Wild has sued the province, arguing the program is unlawful. A ruling is expected in early June. Meantime, activists say the cost to taxpayers for this year's wolf kill was $1.8 million. While they hope this was the last year, there's no sign yet that the government intends to give up hunting wolves. This really puts a stain on B.C. and on Canada. This program should never have begun in the first place. Um, it's shameful, it's horrifying, it's embarrassing, and it really needs to end. Paul Johnson, Global News. Police on Vancouver Island have seized tens of millions of dollars worth of art following an investigation into an art dealer. Saanich police have seized more than 1,000 pieces of art, including three original Emily Carr paintings and a David Blackwood watercolor, both renowned Canadian artists. An art owner contacted police on April 11th to report they had entrusted a local dealer with four pieces of fine art for consignment and potential sale at an Oak Bay gallery. The owner became suspicious, though, when the gallery recently closed and attempts to contact that art dealer were unsuccessful. The investigation uncovered several other alleged victims as well. Soon after, search warrants were executed at storage sites in Saanich, Oak Bay and Langford, and the art dealer was arrested on April 21st. Saanich police alleged the dealer was selling the art without reimbursing the owners or artists. Investigators are recommending multiple charges of fraud and false pretense to Crown Council. 
All right, let's get a quick check of our weekly COVID-19 numbers. Right now, there are 570 people in hospital. That's up 85 over last week. 47 of those patients are in critical care. That's up nine. There have been 42 more deaths due to complications of the virus. And we have 2,276 new confirmed cases over the last seven days. A long-standing blood donation ban for gay men is set to end this year. Health Canada has given Canadian Blood Services the green light to lift the remaining blanket ban on donations. Global's Jamie Marocker has the details. Patients across Canada need donors more than ever. And by the end of September, more Canadians will be eligible to offer an arm, including 34-year-old Anthony Falls. It still shocks me in 2022 that as a gay male, I actually can't donate blood. Since 1992, any man who had sex with another man was barred from giving the gift of life in Canada because of concerns the community was at higher risk to transmit HIV. There was a stigma around HIV that associated it with gay and bisexual men. It's not anything that's related to just one sexual orientation or one gender identity. Over the last decade, Health Canada okayed Canadian Blood Services relaxing its donor deferral policy, finally landing on a three-month ban in 2019. Now, all donors will be equally screened for high-risk sexual behavior, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. We recognize that trust building uh, is a long process. The change in the policy being just one step towards that. For years, advocates pushed for federal intervention. Since 2015, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has made election pledges to lift the ban, but has been criticized for slow action. We're ending the blanket ban. Uh, on MSM donations, but it took too long. This should have been done 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Falls plans to make up for lost time and says he will donate as soon as he can. I'm lucky enough to have O negative blood, so I'm a universal donor. Glad to see science prevail over stigma, allowing more lives to be saved. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. Still ahead, the life's work of a gifted visual effects artist. I mean, this guy's internationally known. The amazing collection, a Hollywood North legend left behind, and how you can own a piece of it. A pair of Metro Vancouver celebrities have finally fully woken from their long sleep. There were cheers as Grouse Mountain's resident Grizzlies, Grinder and Kula emerged from their hibernation this morning. Earlier we showed them still in their den, but take a look, they're busting out. <laughs> the 171-day winter dormancy is the longest in their 21 years at the ski hill. The pair arrived at the Grouse Mountain Refuge for endangered wildlife after being orphaned in separate incidents in different parts of the province back in 2001. Nice to see some sunshine. All right, so what does that say about our weather mm -hmm. forecast, Christy, that the bears are out now? Mm -hmm. Are we going to really get into the swing of things for spring? <laughs> well, today we warmed up to 12 degrees and typically we'd be up to 16. So we're still not making our way back to near seasonal vows. We'll come close to it in the next couple of days. But I wanted to tell you some preliminary numbers in from Environment Canada. Of course, we're still tallying it because April's not over yet. But show that there is a chance maybe one or two areas across the province may have the all-time coldest April on record. But more likely, we're going to see some in the top five or ten um, of the coldest 
April's on record. Metro Vancouver may not make that even top 10, but we'll wait to see. Uh, but we're certainly well below seasonal by a good degree and a half. And one of the reasons is, is that we've had consistently cold conditions. Typically in the month of April, you might get a 17 to 20 degree, maybe a couple of times throughout the month that will bump up that average just enough. And we haven't had that. We haven't climbed up above 16 degrees. Here's a quick look over the next little while of what you can expect. So we're talking about 13, 14 degrees, still below seasonal. Maybe next week we'll reach 16. Uh, but still, as we look into um, uh, sort of Mother's Day, we still don't have a significant warm up in store for us. And certainly that's the case in through the Caribou region with more snow there. Uh, we are going to see a little bit more cloud cover tomorrow, a slight chance of showers, but really it's not until Friday night that we're expecting periods of rain. So enjoy some sunshine once again, although the BC Peace River area still snowfall on the way for you tonight. It eases to a wet snow mix and just sort of a slushy uh, flurry activity for you tomorrow. But a slight chance of showers across the south coast. Most areas, some sunshine in the mix. So enjoy rain though on Saturday, but we should be back to dry weather on Sunday with some sunshine. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from West, New Westminster. Thank you to Ken for this great video of some goslings there. Love seeing them. So cute. Family outings. Out for a walk. All right. For decades, Hollywood North has benefited from the talents of a Vancouver master visual effects, makeup and prosthetics artist. And now film and TV fans around the world have a chance to collect some of that prolific work. Aaron MacArthur has more. I mean, look at that's my favorite piece. That's from Rise of the Planet Apes. A lifetime worth of work. Movie magic that's often seen and then forgotten. From nightmares to fantasy and the unknown. If a special effect was on screen, there's a good chance it came from the mind of Bill Tarasekis. Bill Tarasekis was, it's not just known here in Vancouver. I mean, this guy's internationally known. Tarasekis died last year. The 55-year-old was a legend in Hollywood North. 150 film credits to his name. He worked on everything from Planet of the Apes to the X-Files. He's a designer. Right. His wife and business partner, Maureen, says the phone calls and messages are still coming in. All the email that comes through from everywhere, it's basically, you know, they're going to miss his humor. Uh, he works very, very hard. It's unimaginable. To create something like this, I ask these guys, is over a month worth of work. All of this is being sold May 8th at online auction. Jeff Swartz says some of this is worth tens of thousands of dollars to the right collector. We're getting calls from London, Japan, New York, L.A. It's for people who want to get a piece of history or people who just collect and they get to see one of their famous pieces. Bill Tarasakis leaves behind a warehouse full of his creativity and an obvious love for the craft of filmmaking he never got to finish. His dream, all came true, but he... He never had a chance to enjoy his um, retirement. We were going to announce our retirement, his retirement, the day he died. His creations serve as a testament to his passion. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Wow, some incredible stuff in that collection. What a keepsake for some of the people who worked on those movies, too. Yeah, no uh, okay, let's check in with Squire now for a look ahead to... Uh, to the sports, there is still some hockey to be played, right? Yeah, the Canucks have two games left. I mean... <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, when he first took over the Canucks, he made a point of uh, taking Vasily Podkolzin aside and telling him to up his confidence 
that he is a good player in this league. And uh, this words like really helped me. It certainly did help him because in the second half of the season, Claude Colson was a much better player for the Canucks. Also coming up, a heavy metal artist, the inspiration that started his hobby later. Yes, is a... Famous man once said, or a wise man once said, it is what it is, as you guys discussed. <laughs> I Todd, still think it's a Todd Bertuzzi. Todd Bertuzzi it is made a Todd it Bertuzzi famous. Thing. That's where I first That's heard it, was Todd Bertuzzi. Yeah. Uh, the Canucks' final home game is tonight against the Los Angeles Kings. They're going to the playoffs. The Canucks are not. Spencer Martin will start in goal for Vancouver. Thatcher Demko has been shut down with an injury. We won't see him until next season. Now, of course, with the Canucks gone from the playoff race, all the talk... All the thoughts now switch to what will Vancouver do before next season like? Here's a big question. Is Bruce Boudreaux coming back? Just wait until the end of the year. So we don't need to ask any questions about that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a lot of the players were struggling under Travis Green and then blossomed under Bruce Boudreaux. The whole team really did, but... One guy who really improved a lot under Boudreaux was rookie Vasily Podkolz, and not only did he improve his play on the ice, his English got a lot better as well. Puts one across, Podkolz into the net, scores! Like the Canucks this season, Vasily Podkolzin took some time to figure things out, but once he did, he took off. Podkolzin has been one of the team's most improved players over the past month or so. He's taken advantage of the opportunity to play in the top six, but he says improving his English was also a big help to improving his on-ice performance. I began to feel better like after, after New Year, I think so. Yeah, I uh, began to understand coaches, uh, guys, teammates, and uh, that's that's really fun when you can when you can speak when you can when you can understand. That's uh, that's really easiest for me. I think he's a 25 goal scorer minimum. He's your, your typical power forward in today's age. You know, I mean, he's going to go up and down the ice. He's going to get to about 220 pounds, and and he's and he's a strong skater. He's and. He's just gonna he's gonna do the right things at the right time where you can feel comfortable putting him out uh, in any in any situation. The head coach definitely has confidence in the rookie, and that also helped put Colson feel comfortable right away when Bruce Boudreau took over in December. I remember when I met with uh, Ovechkin, he he said to me that Bruce can help me in uh, my career like a like a player and uh, like a person too. Uh, he's, he's a great coach. He told me, like, you're a good player. You can, you can to play in NHL. You can, to, you, you can to be a good player in this league. Yeah, and uh, this words, like, really helped me. Quinn Hughes comes up front. Centers, Pot Colson scores! And Pot Colson's season won't end Friday in Edmonton. He's eligible to play in the AHL playoffs with the Abbotsford Canucks, giving him his first taste of playoff hockey in North America, and also give him even more experience as he tries to carry this momentum into next season. I think uh, I did a real hard work in this season, and uh, I hope uh, we'll be we'll be really better in next season. If you fast forward this three years from now, you're going to have a really good. Uh, a good player that cares about, A, the game, and cares about how he plays. 
Former Canucks assistant Nolan Baumgartner had trouble with the penalty kill in Vancouver and also with the penalty kill with Canada's under-18 team, although this is a great shorthanded goal by Connor Bedard today in the quarterfinal match against Finland. But Canada blew a 5-3 lead. One of the big problems, they couldn't kill penalties very well. And then in overtime, ooh, that's a bad pass. And this will end up in the back of Canada's net, and that means Finland is moving on and Canada is out after losing 6-5. The Vancouver Whitecaps have a new designated player in midfielder Andres Kubas, who was playing in uh, France's second division with uh, the Nîmes Olympique. Kubas is from Argentina, but he has played internationally for Paraguay. He was given a four-year contract by the Whitecaps. He'll start playing as soon as all the visa and work permits are settled. Now, even though I'm going to show you Kubas scoring a goal, and he does have a good shot in this highlight, his real talent is preventing goals. That's what he is best at. And quite frankly, that's what the Whitecaps really need him to do because too many times this season teams have been cutting through Vancouver's midfield and defense easily in scoring. So if Kubas can help rectify that, this will be a good signing for Vancouver. I would say lead and guide our defense from a position ahead of our defense line. And in all of his stats, he is, uh, he is one of the guys that has the highest amount of tackles, successful tackles in all leagues he played. Also in the French League 1 uh, a year ago when he was play- playing there in the first league. Coming back from 3-0 down in a playoff series has never happened in the NBA. The uh, Raptors won games 4 and 5 against the 76ers. They were only down by one at halftime. Chris Boucher had a good game, 25 points off the bench. But in the third quarter, the Raptors went ice cold. Philadelphia went on a 17-0 run. James Harden had 22 points. Tyrese Maxey had 25. In the second half, Philadelphia outscored Toronto 70-36. And they're moving on to the second round, and the Raptors are out. But Toronto's baseball team is early in its season, and things are going well for the Blue Jays. Third inning, Alejandro Kirk will drive in Guriel Jr. to make it 1-0 for the Jays. And then it's up to former Vancouver Canadian pitcher Alec Manoa to take over. Seven strikeouts over seven innings. He's now 4-0. The Jays win this 1-0. At home. Well done. The Seattle Seahawks have taken offensive tackle Charles Cross with their first pick in the NFL draft this evening. At first glance, this looks like a good choice. He was considered the best pass blocker available, and Seattle really needs to protect its quarterbacks better this coming season. There you go. I bet he's sad Russell's not back there. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not sure who he's going to protect yet. Maybe yeah. Baker Mayfield. Maybe. All right, up next, an artist proving there's no limit to what you can create with a welding torch and some scrap metal. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, tonight we're following a disturbing incident outside of Surrey Mosque. The B.C. Muslim Association says a group of people who had just left evening prayers last night had a substance thrown at them by someone in a vehicle. Moments later, that driver came back, accelerated towards the worshippers, but steered away at the last second. There is video, and we'll have it for you tonight at 11. Chris? Terrible. All right. Thanks very much, Jordan. A B.C. man who stumbled into becoming a metal artist is making a difference. He's creating art out of what many people would consider trash. Jay Durant has his story on This Is B.C. Part-time artist James Howells is still learning the tricks of welding. 
It was his cousin who gave him a crash course and some sound advice. <laughs> Don't electrocute yourself. <laughs> Howells needed to find a new creative outlet and stumbled across an idea along some old tracks near his place north of Pemberton. And that's how the metal artist got his start. Turning old discarded rail spikes into unique figures. It's trash. We should pick it up and, and turn it into something. Chainsaw, chain. Now he's collecting all kinds of scraps for his projects. Iron pipe from gas fitting. My old barbecue rotisserie. Bike pegs from my son's BMX bike. Don't tell him I took them. Turning them into choppers and lobsters, horse heads, and some real heavy metal. <laughs> oh, wait till you see my Gibson inside. The Gibson's better. This is art that's good for the environment. This is heavy metal and it just goes, it just gets, it, it's absorbed into the ground. An old clothesline. Uh, Thing you can see there's sockets, there's gas fittings, there's nuts. This is a rotor from a lawnmower. And I recycle propane tanks. I made a really cool 1964 Volkswagen bus out of a 30 pound propane tank. It's at the point now where neighbors are leaving piles on his porch for him to work with. People clean out their shed. Oh, James would like this handful of nuts and bolts. This is a piece off of a router. Um, you can see this chain, the bicycle chain. Yeah, that's his holster. Yeah. If it ever, the house ever burns down, my art will still be there. <laughs> Everything is available for sale, even the prized horse head. It's become a good little side business, turning trash into treasures for his customers. He liked seeing something being made out of nothing. And, and it, it really, people really appreciated that. Jay Durant, Global News. What a talent. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something nobody else in B.C. has seen and you want to share it, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. I love the horse head. That was very cool. Mm. All right, uh, let's bring Christy in for one final look at the weather. Christy? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a little cool today. Not very cool, a little cool. We are going to warm up tomorrow, so we're expecting highs of maybe 13, 14 degrees. So we're making our way back to near seasonal. At least some sunshine in the mix tomorrow, so enjoy because we are expecting rain Friday night, Saturday morning. Mm. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.